welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 4, a podcast in God's voice telling His side of your story. We noted last time that most of Israel is still stuck in Egypt. Oh, I freed them from their slavery and brought them out through my wonders, and they walked through the sea on dry land. But here as they stand at the edge of the promised land, which is ripe for the picking which I am ready to give to them, they are stuck in the past, instead of trusting in my promises. And so, since they are not able to step into the future to which I am calling them at this point, they will wander in the wilderness one year for each day the spies were in the promised land, those who witnessed its bounty but then bore false witness to the nation, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua. If you were paying attention, you know how long this will be, a fitting symbol. Just as Moses was forged, purified, remade, and renewed in his forty years in the wilderness, so shall the people of Israel be. As he learned to shepherd a flock in his time, so will my children learn to trust me as their shepherd, And as Moses stepped freshly into his mission after his time of wilderness refinement, so shall all Israel step into the future I have planned for them, after they live through the wilderness their parents put them in. This next younger generation of Israel serves as a powerful example for you on another level as well. Think about it. They are totally living out consequences of the generation before them. If mom and dad hadn't poo-pooed Caleb's report at the end of the spy mission, they'd already be ensconced in a comfy promised land home. Instead, as a direct result of their parents' lack of faith, they are stuck wandering in the wilderness until their parents die off. Once the old folks are gone, they finally have the chance to move forward. You don't need to kill off your parents to move forward. I'd very much rather you not harm them. Actually, you honor me by honoring them. However, that doesn't mean you're permanently shackled to whatever consequences are in your life because of their choices or dysfunction. Even if the folks have been exemplary models of nurturing love and faith for you, you have to build a faith of your own. Theirs won't put you on the way. Younger Israel learns to trust me as I provide for and sustain them even in their tough wilderness time. They lack for nothing, and in spite of the miles they cover over the years, I see to it that their feet don't swell, and the clothes on their back and sandals on their feet don't even wear out. Deuteronomy 2, 7 and following. Their trust in me grows, a trust that knows that I am not going to leave them there. Instead, I am carrying them through their parents' consequences in order to establish a brand new life with the next generation on the other side. I know about your wilderness too, friend, and the consequences you're living with and walking through. It's not always going to be this way. It may take some time certainly less than 40 years for most of you. But don't give up on your life or on me and what I can do with your life, what we can do together. You will learn and become things, 
things that are good to know and be in the wilderness that are not available elsewhere. And we will be with you in the course of it all. I didn't give up on Israel, and I am not giving up on you. One foot in front of the other, keep walking. Step onto the way with me, and we will make it through together. Speaking of making it through, I do want to take a moment to honor Moses, whom we haven't mentioned in a while. If you're counting your sets of forty with the old man, you realize he's had three. Sets of forty, that is. His first set, growing up in Egypt. Second set, being refined in the wilderness and prepped for his mission. Third set, walking out that mission, begun with spectacle in Egypt, ended by serving as Israel's guide in their penalty four-decade walkabout. Moses is actually going to retire just before Israel makes it to the Promised Land. This is doubly motivated. At 120 years old, he's not exactly the one to lead a military conquest. A fresh generation needs a fresh leader. Secondly, because it is so important for the next generation to trust in me, I simply have to make an example of Moses when he doubts me when I tell him how to perform the get-water-from-a-rock miracle at Meribah, and he improvises something else. You can read all about it in Numbers 20 in your owner's manual. This episode fits the template we've seen time and again, with whining and lack of faith on the people's part and faithful provision on mine. It's mighty dry there in Kadesh where they are, and the people and their livestock are getting awfully thirsty. And like the miraculous manna and quail popping out from nowhere, I'm going to pull water out of a hat for these people, or at least out of a rock. Once more, this shows my mastery over creation, again using the word creation to refer to the universe I created, and serves as yet another reminder of my sovereignty over all things. I have Moses gather the people at a formation of rock. His instructions are simple. Take your staff and your brother, not your brother's staff, Gather the people, then command the rock to surrender, yield, and otherwise give out its water. In other words, open up a gusher. The last part was the most important. Command the rock. No excavation required. No hitting, striking, bumping, grinding. No action whatsoever. Just a verbal command. Moses doesn't listen to me, though and voices no command. Instead, he lays into the rock with the wail of his staff twice. <coughs> Moses, 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 if I'd wanted you to hit the rock, I'd have told you to hit the rock, just like I did back in Exodus 17. I'm sure that's what you were thinking. Last time, Yahweh had me hit the rock, and it worked. So I should do that again this time. In fact, I'll nail it twice for good measure, just to make sure it works. Now, you may be jumping to his defense, because I told him to take his staff with him this time, and assume he inferred, along with you, that I wouldn't have asked him to take it if he wasn't going to use it. 
Well, there you both go making assumptions and letting those assumptions lead Moses to actions that contrast my commands. Yes, there's an example in there if you let yourself think about it for a moment. I ask him to take his staff for very good reason. It's long been established as the symbol of his authority and unique relationship with me. Yes, it was the vehicle of miracles in the past, but not all of them. Each time it served so, I specifically commanded how the staff of Moses was to be used in order to deploy my power. No such command is present this time, other than to have it there as a symbol. Obviously, the big problem here is that Moses doesn't follow my command. He does something else entirely, something that's worked in the past, makes sense to him, and has the added bonus of letting him take out some of his frustrations with the whiners on the rock. There's another layer here as well. I hope you noticed I told Moses to have Aaron with him on this junket. What you didn't notice, because of the limits of your English language, is that when I order Moses to command the rock to open up, I actually use a plural imperative. O oh, English majors, rejoice. An imperative that clearly means that Moses and Aaron are to make the surrender rock command together. Here's why. We are about to step into the promised land here and into a new age for Israel on more than one level. Even if he were to cross the Jordan into the promised land, Moses is not going to live or serve as the iconic single leader of the nation much longer. The time is coming for a more sustainable, self-maintenance mode for my children. Though, of course, I am not going to leave them without human leadership, it's time to emphasize the leadership role of the priesthood in shepherding my people as we move forward. My desire for bringing water out of a rock by a simple command from the lips of both Moses and Aaron is to emphasize that Moses is not the only one I can use or speak through, and that Aaron, and by inference his priestly progeny, is similarly a vessel of my word and action. Of course, that's all lost when Moses buffets the rock with his staff instead, not just thwarting my poignant planned symbolism, but even worse, serving as an extremely poor example to the people to whom I've been trying to teach the foundational importance of trust and obedience literally for decades now. You really must take note of how fine a point there is here on the concept of holiness the holiness born of obeying a particular command of mine. Specifics matter, whether they concern the method I've commanded to be used when getting water out of a rock, or the fidelity with which I command you to live in marriage, or any number of other commands. There will be times when something other than what I have commanded may make more sense or feel more right to you, as with Moses in this case. In those times when you perceive a difference between what I've commanded and what you think a better option, obey me instead of your instincts. In spite of all our years together, Moses is still learning that lesson, as are you. However, 
Because of his position of leadership and example, a comment pointed straight at you who lead, Moses acting on instinct instead of obedience, cannot go unnoticed. So deep does this episode reach into Israel's psyche that this moment at Meribah is remembered in future songs as a synonym for hardness of heart. Look up Psalms 81, 95, or 106. My old friend leaves me no choice but to punish him, and his punishment will be that after all his efforts, all our work together, Moses will only get to gaze upon the promised land from a mountainous overlook and never to walk there himself. While this is obviously a disappointment to Moses, he is also relieved that I am not enlisting him in yet another forty-year tour of duty. I actually have to similarly punish Aaron, who knew how I commanded things to play out, but then let Moses act otherwise. He may not have pulled the trigger or swung the staff, but he stood there and allowed it to happen. Sound familiar? Yes, you. Be ready for a nudge or two in that department sometime soon. In the meantime, Aaron has to make his exit before the promised land as well. So before I gather him to his ancestors, I pass the priesthood on from Aaron to his son Eliezer with a ceremonial transfer of the ornate garments of the high priest, ensuring a smooth and accepted transfer of religious leadership. A prince to the end, when Moses is faced with the conclusion of his tenure as the leader of Israel, we're in Numbers 27.12 right now, the first words out of his mouth ask me to appoint a suitable successor for him so that the people don't end up like sheep without a shepherd. Naturally, just as I taught Moses how to shepherd during his middle forty years out in Midian in preparation for his shepherding my people, I have been preparing his protege for these past forty years one of the only two to speak in my favor after spying out the land, will walk in Moses' steps at the head of my people, Joshua, son of Nun. My spirit is strong in Joshua, who has also gained wisdom and experience while serving at Moses' side as his assistant for many years. It is rather an epic moment, then, when Moses lays his hands upon Joshua in the presence of all the people, commissioning his former apprentice and passing the mantle of leadership from Moses on to the next generation. Kind of. Moses isn't dead yet, though Aaron is, having already been gathered to his people at this juncture, again not because of his extreme old age, but for his complicity in the water debacle. Before Moses joins his brother on the other side of mortality, we've got to introduce the final book of the Torah, the Law, the Pentateuch, that final book is Deuteronomy. No, it's not a cat. It's a book, and an important one at that. We have enough to say about it that we'll wait until next time. On the way. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. We've got a lot of wonderful ground to cover in future episodes. If you'd like to support what we do, share this with your friends. There's a link to the first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out the number. 
and feel free to give us a review on iTunes or on Facebook. 15 Minutes on the Way is sponsored by the Oak Haven Church in the Barn in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oleksandr Zadoyani writes our theme music at smartmediamusic.com. Kenny Eicher designs our website art, kennyeicherart.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.